So, like, every time I put out an episode that I'm, like, low-key concerned that might be hyper uh, controversial and I say fuck it and put it out anyway, I brace myself because I expect to to see um, a dramatic decline in listeners, but the number keeps going up. So I think this is good. I think that this means that people who are listening and coming back you know, to continue listening, understand where I'm coming from and understand my heart and understand what I'm trying to do in the way that I deliver the messages um, through the podcasts and things like that. So thank you. Um, There's something to be said about people being able to understand you. I mean, we live in a world where, you know, whatever region you are in, people around you speak the same language and yet we continuously misunderstand each other um you know you can have somebody speaking english to you and saying one thing and you taking a different meaning out of it than this one person did or the next person did or whatever and that basically lends itself to the chaos that we see uh happening in the world right now and consistently so to be to be understood is um is always, always, always uh, appreciated. It's always, always, always appreciated. So thank you. Um, the I had to change the title on the Jesus is a Demon uh, podcast, not because I really thought that it was a bad title. I love the title, but I wanted to make sure that people didn't get triggered by the title and actually took the time to listen to what I was saying and hear it, right? Where a lot of people are extremely reactive. I mean, most human beings are. Um, some just, you know, more so than others, or I should say some just less so than the most. Um, and so that's why that title, you know, I changed it to how Christianity fuels or facilitates uh, white supremacy, which more or less is saying the same thing. So that's that. Um, and then to pat myself on the back, like I like to do, hey, everybody has their vices, and my vice is that I really love saying, I told you so, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it, it, it's a bad, uh, it, it's a, I don't want to call it bad, actually. It's just a trait of mine. Um, I'm human. Nobody is perfect. It's a default setting for this body that my soul is presently occupying, and it really likes being able to predict the future, and then when things start happening, um, according to a set of prediction. Uh, being able to say, I told you so. Now, am I 100% accurate in my predictions? Uh, no. But I'd say about a 95, I'm able to predict within about a 95% certainty of like what's going to happen. And uh, those are my regular listeners. At this point, you guys are starting to see like, you know, yeah. So I'm patting myself on the back. So I remember back in March, I think it was the episode of March 30th. I don't remember the title right now, but I said in about two weeks, this is the tunnel. I had to change that episode's title from There is a Cure to uh, There's a Light at the End of the Tunnel or The Light at the End of the Tunnel, something like that. Because when I uploaded the uh, podcast onto YouTube, um, some butthurt person uh, reported that episode, which is stupid. Because it wasn't like I was claiming that I created the cure or pulled it out of my ass. I just said, if you Google Remdesivir, like um, made by Gilead, this is what the cure is going to be. It was just common sense to me. 
at the time, but I might have upset somebody in uh, some sort of comment section on YouTube and they thought they would uh, respond by reporting my page or I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing. So there's that. Um, but on that episode, I did talk about in about two weeks or so, mid-April, they're going to announce a cure. And um, almost exactly to the date, um, they did. And so I... Um, I uh, want to kind of say I uh, I told you so, and I was right. Um, but I'm I'm joking. Jokes aside, it, it is something that is worth um, checking out. So if you know people or a person that has been kind of you know at the edge of their seat and panicking about this whole uh, virus thing, just let them know. I mean, you've probably heard about it now. I think it hit the the mainstream media like rotation yesterday night. Um, my husband told me about it. Um, he was like, look, you're right. And I was like, I know. I know. <laughs> so that's that. So now it's, you know, they're going to, you know, over the next couple of weeks or so to a month, um, trying to figure out how to safely and effectively reopen uh, the economy again. And so hopefully um, that goes by, goes over smoothly. So the virus thing, I think, is winding down. Um, but unfortunately, the downside is that schools have been canceled for the rest of the year. I don't see them reversing that. I think it's highly unlikely that that decision will get reversed because it's children. And, you know, uh, that was my table. I did fart. Um, <laughs> because it's children. And I think erring on the side of caution as opposed to like adults going back to work, you know, I get that. The downside is that a lot of people who have work you know, and who do work while their kids are in school, that's going to be sort of difficult for, for, for those people. And that's what my next kind of, I call it a prediction. It's not really a prediction. It's just, do you guys remember if you've ever watched that one movie, uh, Limitless, where the guy takes the drugs and he's able to like, like kind of speak all these different languages and he's like super smart. And he can read patterns and everything like that. Um, it's something that your, your brain can do, right? It's just, an, it's a mark of intelligence. If you give your brain enough data, anybody actually, if you give your brain enough data, um, it will spit out a, a, a prediction of a future outcome with pretty, like pretty high um, accuracy. And that's all I'm really doing. I'm, it's not esoteric. The March 20th uh, uh, stay in thing, from February, I know some of you guys are probably thinking, well, what about that? I'm like, I, I don't fucking know. I'm not, I can't explain. So I'm just going to leave that um, aside um, for now. Maybe it was a fluke. I have no idea. Um, but I've already talked about what I thought it was and kind of moved on from it. Um, but for this one, I think that once they've run past this whole um, pandemic uh, cycle, then the next month coming, you know, in April, just brace yourself, like, I'm not April, May, brace yourself, May and into June, they are going to ramp up the, like, just, like, the economic issues that we're having right now. They're not talking about it right now because that's the next new cycle. Um, so they have to wrap that, wrap out this cycle. Um, but the next one, it's going to be, we're going to be heavily focused, the media is going to be heavily focused on the destruction 
of the economy. At this point right now, it's hard to say, okay, is it really destroyed, you know, or, or hampered, considering the fact that, you know, people are getting their stimulus checks or whatever, and everything has been paused and the companies have been doing, you know, great jobs at, you know, delaying payments and things like that. Um, and same with rents and evictions have been paused and foreclosures, et cetera. But we all know at this point now how the media functions. So you can count on them taking something that's like a little fire and sprinkling some TNT on it to really stoke it and soak the fear and all of that. So that's the next cycle that's coming. Um, in regards to the stock market, like I've been watching that for the last like three, four weeks, and I just keep seeing it going green. And I'm like, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. I don't want to say it's a pump and dump. I would just say if you are thinking of jumping in right now, this is not the time to be doing that at all. Things are going to get really volatile um, right before uh, the elections in November. So like watch and wait. Um, that's all I mean, I'll really say on that. I mean, it, it should be obvious. I don't know who's buying stocks right now. Like, honestly, it doesn't make any sense. If you're looking at the numbers and all the people that are being laid off and furloughed and like, if you just have any inclination of how cause and effects um, happen, you don't, I mean, shutting down the country for like a month, um, it, it, we're not just going to return back to normal in like two, three months, four months. Like it's going to take a couple of years, I think, for the effects of what happened, you know, this month, last month to really start to show. Um, so just uh, FYI, if you're thinking of joining, um, jumping into the stock market right now, I would, I'm not uh, obviously a stock advisor, um, but I, I would advise against that uh, very strongly. Um, anyway, so that's that. So this episode, um, a lot of my friends come to me for advice for some reason. Um, and, you know, after you like talk on the phone with them, after I talk on the phone with them, there's always a part of my mind that goes like, man, I wish I was recording that because that would be great because I'm sure that the information that I discussed on this phone conversation could be utilized by like other people, but it's now limited to just some phone conversations. So I thought for this episode, I would um, focus really on just generic advice on um, curtailing uh, suffering. And that's always my kind of primary focus. I I just, I don't, I don't like seeing people suffer unnecessary. And if there's, and I read countless of books in order to learn how not to suffer. And the primary cause of suffering is obviously the mind um, because it makes, you know, mountains out of molehills, so to speak. And so, um, but to share anything that I know in that regard and to help you as a listener um, has, is kind of my passion. Um, so uh, this episode, uh, I, I want to talk about like a mental sort of a mental alchemy. Um, I want to start off with a quote that I was reading uh, in a book titled... One second. Uh, bear with me, bear with me. I'm trying to pull up my library. Um, teachings of the Buddha. Um, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Anyway, um, it, and it just, it kind of struck me. It said, it's not the person that you love, but their kindness. 
it's not the person that you love, but their kindness. So I've been really grappling with that particular I, I, um, statement because it's one of those statements that when, once you hear it, like everything kind of freezes and it's like you get for just for a second, a temporary moment of, you know, nirvana or whatever you want to call it, right? Just peace of mind because it, it just dawns on you and makes sense. Um, and that to me like really did stick to me because it's it really helps it really helped me with my interpretation of my interpersonal relationships right it's not a person that you love right um if you guys ever like had that experience where you meet somebody and they seem like really you know maybe they're super attractive or whatever and you're like wow like this person is gorgeous um but then as you like get to know them they either become well they don't either they become like less and less attractive because of their behavior right and then on the opposite end there are also people who like initially when you meet them you don't find them physically attractive but the more you get to know them the more you're like wow I really like this person well it's not their physical form that's basically you know what I'm trying to say it's not the physical form that you are becoming attracted to, right? I mean, initially, if it was a super, like, supermodel, whatever, like, yes, you saw aesthetically what your your body biologically and subconsciously recognized as um, beauty or whatever, by whatever cultural standards that you're, you happen to uh, subscribe to or programmed to see, but it's the way that they treat you that you start to sort of develop an affinity towards and vice versa. Um, and so I was having a conversation with one of my friends and we were talking about therapists, uh, therapy rather. And she was saying how, you know, she went to a therapist and the therapist diagnosed her with uh, bipolar disorder. And, um, and then every time she goes, goes into therapy, and I, I asked her, I said, well, what's therapy like? She said, well, every time she goes into therapy, it's essentially a, the format of therapy is you sit down and you complain about your past, you complain about people in your life, um, and that's supposed to somehow make you feel better. And of course, therapy more or less never ends. I mean, you either just keep going, you know, indefinitely, or you you know, decide, you know what, this isn't working and you quit or something, you know, bad happens or whatever. That's typically how therapy works. There's not a lot of people who maybe go to a few sessions of therapy and then they go, okay, I got it. I've become, you know, well-adapted and that's it. And to me, that that is weird. Um, only because if you have a what the DSM-IV has classified as a quote-unquote mental illness, right? If I go to the doctor for an illness, I should be able to, you should be able to prescribe me uh, a medication or medicine. Stay with me. I'm not, I'm not advocating uh, pharmaceutical drugs for mental health. So hear me out. But if you go to a doctor for treatment, he should be able, he or she should be able to prescribe you um, treatment. And then that should be able to take care of your problems. You, you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't theoretically go to the doctor for the rest of your life or for like 10 five, 10, 15 years or whatever, right? Like there should be something short and sweet that, that they prescribe to you and then maybe work with you for a couple of months like or a year if you, if you have like a severe illness or whatever. And then eventually you kind of get back 
rehab back to health. But you don't see that happening um, with mental health. I mean, if you go to a psychiatrist, they do just give you a drug. Um, but typically that's not something that's sustainable. And then you have to switch prescriptions and switch prescriptions. And then you go from one therapist to another therapist. And then it's like that kind of cycle. Um, and even firsthand experience, like my, I mean, to speak candidly, my husband and I went through like a, like a rough patch where, um, we were just both like just being super critical of each other. So we're both Virgos. And, um, and um, one of my friends suggested, well, why don't you just, why don't you, have you guys tried um, therapy, couples therapy? And I haven't, um, but something kind of, I felt, you know, an intuitive drive to, to go and check it out. Because why not? You know, if you can talk things out, you know, and that's a solution to a chaotic problem, why not? Well, what happened was I, when we got there, my mind, you know, I'm over here, like I meditate, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be conscious. It's a practice. You know, I spend hours a day just, you know, working on myself when I'm, you know, on my own, when I'm painting and things like that. And so I'm thinking, you know, what's, what's therapy? I think I'm remarkably well adjusted. By the time the therapist was, the therapy session was over, like I had cried um, mostly out of just sheer frustration than anything else. It wasn't even emotion. Like I was just like angry. Um, and I just, I took off my, I, I took off my glasses cause I wore my glasses to the, se- to the session, but I took off my glasses so I wouldn't even have to see her. And then she would like ask me questions and I stopped talking. Like I just shut down. Um, and I think for me, what it was, was when we went in there, she had asked, well, what would you, what are you hoping to, um, achieve? by, um, through therapy. And I said the truth, which was, I just want to be able to communicate better with my partner, with my spouse, with my husband. That's it, which is the absolute truth. I genuinely felt that, and and still do, that a lot of the time, a lot of problems that people have in relationships is a miscommunication, you know, and that's it. And, um, by the end of the session, it was like, she like had, it was like just, it was like, it was like snitching to like a stranger about personal stuff. You know, it was like, well, what did he do? Okay, well, what, then what does she do? And then what do you feel about that? And, and it was like, there was this encouragement to continuously like find fault with the other person until eventually what the session devolved into was an hour of defending yourself and attacking the other person like critically and i remember thinking you know what i came in here feeling good feeling happy about my relationship and now i'm leaving feeling worse than i than i did when i first came in here this is not good. Like, I don't see how this is even sustainable. And of course, at the end of the first session, she had already booked us out for two appointments a week for like the next couple of months. And to me, like I, I sat with that and I was just like, I, hmm, I don't know if I, I'm comfortable with that. I, I'm the kind of person that likes to keep an open mind, as you can see, but there was, there was a part of me that said like, I felt like I had almost like 
devolved. You know, all the work that I put into, you know, working on living consciously kind of seemed like it was just kind of tossed out the window in like less than an hour in a 45 minute session. And I was more curious as to why, what was I doing and what was my husband doing and what was she doing that was causing this sort of negative emotion to happen. So, um, the one g- good thing, and, and let's, let me say this. So when we first started the, the session, she did, she did say, you know, what do you think is the problem, you know, for you guys? And I said, and I admit it, I said, I have a tendency towards criticism. I'm very critical. Um, but I was, not to make excuses, but I'm a Virgo and I was raised by Virgo and I'm also Nigerian and that's kind of just how Africans tend to communicate, you know, I mean, just honestly, that, that, that's how, you know, my mom's very critical. Um, most Africans, most Nigerian kids that I knew growing up, you know, would pretty much say the same thing. Um, and so that's the method of communication, but it doesn't really work well. Um, obviously with my husband and I believe in just saying what's on your mind and being straightforward and not mincing words. And, uh, he doesn't like that, but I was able to more or less kind of pin the tail on the donkey, so to speak about the problem that we were having. One, it was a failure of communication and two, um, I was being excessively critical. Um, and three, so was he. And, in my opinion, a good therapist or a therapist who really just wanted to treat you maybe one or two or three times um, and be done rather than just keep you coming because you're paying her out of pocket $200 plus every time you come. And so it's a business, not a, a caring situation, would have heard what I said and acknowledged at that time and at moment, the moment that I said that, well, you're absolutely right here, you know, this is the problem. Um, and listen to us go back and forth. And then at the end say, stop fucking criticizing each other. And she didn't do that. She instead booked us out for like the next couple of months. Like I said, two appointments a, a week and, you know, to begin, you know, the whole session, she did make the mistake of telling me that she works from, from book called the seven principles for making marriage work. And I call it a mistake because it ended up costing her thousands of dollars because I guess she didn't realize that I read like a crazy person. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, okay, great. I took a picture of her book that she had on her desk and I went home. I looked it up on Audible, bought it, listened to it in like at 3x speed. And by I think I finished it in like two hours and I realized, oh, okay, um, I'm a dick and like, and, and within maybe a week of changing my behavior, him and I started getting along well. That was it. That was it. Now, I don't know why she couldn't just say, read this book. And then if you feel like you still need my services, come back. Or I want you guys both to read this book by by the time you come back for the next session and I'm going to keep it, you know, short. 
that would have been ethical in my opinion. She just kind of said, well, this is what I kind of work from. And, and you know what? I'm grateful. I'm not criticizing her. I'm grateful for that because now I can share that with you. Ultimately, at the core of the book is, and this is going to be helpful for you, not just for marriage, if you're not married, but for any relationships that you might have, um, where friendship, roommates, uh, you know, parents and things like that. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, stop being a dick. <laughs> like that's it. When you meet a person, right? When you first meet the person, if you treated them at the beginning of the relationship, the way you treated them now, you wouldn't be with them. And I'm talking about like, you know, romantic relationships, husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriends, that kind of thing. You wouldn't be with them now. Um, so somehow things change when you become deeper and deeper involved in the relationship. And as a result, um, rather than your relationship evolving, um, it sort of falls apart into, um, chaos and suffering. Um, the biggest thing that relationships that people in relationships do is when they first get together with a person, they, they seem to hyper-focus on all the things that they like about the person. And then as the relationship goes on, that changes, and then they hyper-focus on the things that they don't like about the person. And like I said in the previous episode, if you when you complain or you criticize, you're basically, you're not helping anybody when you do that. The person that you're criticizing doesn't feel good to hear you criticize them and then they they kind of get put off by you because you're now a source of discomfort but you you also can't complain about something and be happy in a good mood so every time you open your mouth if you're about to complain about the person or you're about to criticize that person understand that you are also choosing to suffer you're also choosing to put yourself in a negative state because like I said you can't complain about a person and, and be in a good mood so complaining is actually an action in which you, you know, consciously choose or unconsciously choose to make yourself, to put yourself in a, in a bad mood, right? So what the book, loosely what the book says is that couples who stay together for a long time, they, they show appreciation for each other. Um, and then couples who don't show resentment against each other. And what resentment is, is like literally it's just a buildup of many years of uh, criticism that it becomes like a tumor of resentment, right? So criticism, every time you criticize somebody, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a cancer cell. And every time you criticize the person you care about, that cell splits and then splits and then splits and it splits. And then you continue that behavior over a span of time, depending on the relationship, um, that will eventually become a tumor. And you continue and continue, eventually it will become malignant, and then the relationship becomes diseased, and then you have to cut it off. And that's how, you know, divorces or violence um, happens. That's it. So... It's a, it was a six or seven hour long book. It didn't really need to be that long, but obviously people have to sell books. Uh, the way you save your relationships with anybody is uh, it's very simple. 
I actually took everything that I, I had written from that and I put it in one sentence. Um, stop complaining. Stop criticizing. That, that's all that book taught me. Now, in my practice in that book, of that book rather, I have developed a whole, like a seven-step process based on this mindset. And this mindset is, it's not the person that you love. You don't fall in love with that person. You fall in love with their kindness. Okay? So this is an episode that's going to be more about alchemy. You're going to take a negative state. It's also dealing a lot with consciousness as well, which, I mean, that's kind of the underlining theme of this uh, of this podcast, but it's going to be, the focus is going to be about conscious, having conscious relationships um, and alchemy. We're going to transition the way you normally deal, deal with things. And then you're going to consciously become, you're going to consciously alter your present persona into a different, more awake being that doesn't suffer. Okay. So here's the first step. Don't react. What I mean by that is this, a reaction. It's not going to be easy. So I say don't react, but what I really mean is try not to react. Work on not reacting. Because it's at this point in in life, if you haven't been living consciously, um, it's not going to be easy to just all of a sudden stop reacting right um and what i mean by react is it's like a you know when you go to the doctor for physical and they hit your elbow or your knee or whatever and then there's that like knee knee jerk reaction um yeah so that's like a an impulsive reaction you have no control over it somebody stimulated you externally and then you physically reacted so at if you are not conscious, right, and I come in and I stimulate you um, emotionally, you're going to react. But if you apply conscious will to your mind at all times, or you monitor your mind at all times, you can curtail that reactive behavior, bring it down from reacting 100% of the time to only reacting maybe 10% of the time to eventually never reacting at all with practice, okay? So what do I mean by consciousness? Well, I'm going to simplify. I don't think I've ever tried to break down what consciousness means. I'm going to attempt to do that now. I'm going to simplify what consciousness is. Consciousness is literally just awareness. That's it. It's awareness and perception of your mind's mental processes, I'll say that again. Consciousness is literally just awareness. It's the awareness of your mind. That's it. It's it, it's literally just looking up and going, oh, okay, I am not in control or I am in control or this person has antagonized me and I'm not going to react. That awareness of realizing that, wait a minute, this person outside of me is antagonizing me. I'm going to pause. That's a momentary uh, glimpse of consciousness. Now, the key is to take that momentary um, glimpse 
and expand upon it and make it a regular part of your life. And that's how you live consciously. And the key to doing that is mental alchemy, which is what I'm talking about right now. You literally have to force yourself to react in the opposite way, in the exact opposite, in the diametrically opposite way that you would normally react to any stimulus or provocation. Because that normal, quote-unquote, normal reaction is actually a programmed response, like that knee-jerk reaction. So you have no control over it. And if you do something that you don't have, if your body does something without your control, then that's a loss of will, right? You didn't will that to happen. It did something on its own. So that that is an exercise um, of a lack of free will. And so the practice of gaining consciousness is really stem, is, is, an, is a continuous act of free will. Or there was a professor that said, I don't remember his name right now, but it was a great courses on determinism. Um, and he said, it's actually free womb. So you can look at it like that too, if that helps. But it's literally pausing and before you react, choosing a different reaction. So that's the hardest thing. It has been the hardest thing I've ever had to do my whole entire life. Bet. Okay. But it's also has been the most rewarding. More and more I work at this. Every day that I work on living consciously, I am more and more at peace and I'm happier um, because I feel I'm not in control of the world, and and that's okay. But the fact that I can control myself, at least up until a certain uh, point, is like just so rewarding. Um, and that, to me, is free will. Like I've said in other episodes, free will is not a given. For the most part, all of us are deeply unconscious. Most people you interact with are unconscious. You you they are not aware. They are not aware of reality. They're not they don't ask themselves about the nature of reality. They're very reactive. They're easily triggered. They they see food, they eat it. They have a craving, they indulge it. Like they they want something, they go and get it. Your the body develops a craving or prompting or an urge and w- without thinking, without awareness of that urging they just get up and like robots react to that and that makes them unconscious and that it that means that they don't have any free will so like i've said free will is not a given free will is an an illusion if you live like that excuse me drinking my tea if you live like that your whole life you might as well call yourself a robot because i mean that's not a life your body stimulated you to do x y and z somebody came up to you and said something you punched them now you're in jail like you know somebody insulted you you hauled off and cussed them out you know you're not you're not stopping to think is this something that i actually want to do Right. Your your body perceives a stimulus and you react to it and you live that that way your whole life and, and you somehow think that that's living and that's not living. That's reactivity. Right. So my the exercise that you want to do is you want to flip that. Right. It's and I've used this quote before, but I'll say it again. It's when Christ says in the Bible, the Christ says, um, turn the other cheek now. 
after the Jesus is a demon episode, I'm sure you guys were like, wait, why? I thought she had a problem with uh, Christ. Why is she quoting uh, the Bible? I don't have a problem with Christ. I don't know the dude uh, personally. I just like quotes, okay? Um, but that, that's, that's what that means, right? It's not to take abuse. At least I don't take that to mean that he needs to take abuse or whoever wrote that scripture or that verse means to take abuse. Like somebody hits you, you know, let them hit you. It's the fact that it's, the, it's more an exercise in non-reactivity. Okay, so um, uh, I have this friend, right? Sometimes when, when um, they text, like they kind of annoy me um, or they would have annoyed annoy me under normal circumstances. And instead of allowing that person to, or not even them, because it's not them, they're just being themselves and they're not conscious of their behavior, how their behavior affects my psyche. It's just the way my body is programmed, right? The default setting of this body is programmed to react with annoyance to certain types of stimulation. And so that annoyance is not even like, I'm not trying, I don't want to be annoyed. Nobody wants to be angry. Nobody wants to be annoyed. It's something that my body impulsively does. And in the past, if somebody texted me something annoying, I would text them something back like, hey, shut the fuck up or something like that, right? Like, and then keep it moving, like not thinking about how that makes the other person feel or anything like that. It's just, you said something, it's annoyed me, I'm going to hurt your feelings. And then that's it. It's just, you said something, I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to say something back and I'm going to keep it moving. That is unconscious. And so what I've been doing instead is the moment that feeling of annoyance starts to creep up, um, I have instead, it's what in the past, that annoyance would, a, would have been a trigger for me to pick up my phone and react. That's how we are all programmed. If you start feeling any kind of emotion, that negative emotion triggers, triggers, uh, reactive behavior. It's a program. So if somebody cuts you off, you, your mind gets flooded with like in a, in a millisecond, it's amazing how many thoughts your mind can process super fast, right? Like a person cuts you off and in the second of them cutting you off, your mind throws at you, this motherfucker, can you believe they actually cut you off? What the fuck? How disrespectful? I'm trying to, you know, get to work. They really going to try to act like they don't see me. Like all of those thoughts. And you know, and if you don't know, the next time you are out and you go, you get caught off, pause, pause. That awareness, that pausing and making yourself aware of all the thoughts that are running through your mind at that time that are then going to fuel the emotion of anger and annoyance that you being cut off, that pause that you've never paused before to like observe that those feelings, that pause, that observation, that awareness, that's consciousness. And if you do that over and over again, you strengthen that muscle of consciousness. But back to what I was saying, it's amazing how in a split second, your mind floods you with all these thoughts. You don't even have time to fucking perceive what just happened, to be conscious or to be aware of what happened. 
right? So that tells you that there's another mind in your body, which is not you, that sees all that. The ego gets like triggered. And then next thing you know, within, within a second of you getting cut off, all these images are dumped into your brain. You feel the emotion of anger and then you're slamming on the horn and you're angry. Just like that. Can you imagine if you could use those, those, th- that processing uh, abilities to like solve mathematical equations instead of fucking honking the horn and flipping somebody off? Like, Think about just how powerful the human mind actually is and just how much it wastes itself on stupid shit like anger. Like really think about that. Right? So step one, when I say don't react, because in that moment of non-reactivity is when you start exercising your free will. Okay? So that's step one. Step two, don't criticize. Now, the thing about criticism, like I said earlier, is that you cannot criticize somebody and be in a good mood. So the moment you open your mouth to criticize a person, you're also choosing unconsciously. So I don't even know if it's a choice, but you're basically putting yourself or allowing yourself to be put into a mental state of anger, a negative mental state. So I've really, and this has been really difficult for me, um, as you guys probably know, I've, I've talked about it a lot. Um, and I'm not always, I'm not perfect at it. I mean, I've just been working on this for a short amount of time, at least the exercise of it, but I am definitely getting better. Um, we, we all criticize. It's not just, I mean, I, I joke and say it's a Virgo thing, a Nigerian thing. It's really not. If you pick up a news report, a news article, especially these days, these journalists, they're not giving you information. They're giving you their opinion, and it's typically very negative, and it's typically just filled with criticism and condemnation and complaining. And when you're done reading that article, that energy that has been generated is negative, and then it's been imparted onto you, and the next thing you know, you're angry. It's contagious. So the negative state in which that criticism was generated gets imparted into that author's word. See, it's not just viruses that are contagious. Mental states are contagious too. If I sing a song in anger, if I write a song in anger, and you listen to that song, there's a part of you that's going to feel angry too. I can infect you with my emotions using my creation. See, that's why a lot of artists don't realize their powers. I'm sure there's some who do, but a lot of them don't realize their ability to really infect people with mental states, you know? And in a world that we have made chaotic, in my opinion, it's an artist's job to, to create more beauty, that's my opinion, to create beauty, to counter all the negative states and, and to bring that to our awareness, um, to balance that out. Anyway, uh, but yeah, every time you criticize somebody, you're, you're basically 
making yourself feel bad and you're making that other person feel bad as well. So you, you start generating negative energy the moment you start to open your mouth to speak negatively, which puts you in a mental, in a negative mental state. And then when you criticize that other person verbally, you infect them with that same negative mental state that you just generated with your words. You do that enough times, you can literally make somebody sick. I'll say that again. You do that enough times, you can literally make somebody sick. So the next time you open your mouth to criticize somebody that you claim to love, ask yourself, do I want to curse this person or do I want to heal them? Because, and to quote the Bible again, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Side note, there's a lot of uh, stuff that's been written about Jesus or Yahshua or the Messiah or Christ, whatever the fuck you want to call him, that prophet um, actually going to India first before coming and preaching in the Middle East. I mean, they're not far apart. Um, And as a person who studies Buddhism and has a background and an understanding of Christianity and knowing that Buddhism predates Christianity by like I think a couple thousand years I have to double check that but I'm pretty sure a couple thousand years Um, I mean Christianity is basically just a hijack of Buddhism, but it's been corrupted through time for whatever reason. And yes, I'm aware that that's my own sort of, um, (laughs) I I don't know. I I am aware that that's my own defensiveness um, in regards to Christianity and and Buddhism. And I just kind of want to side note on that. Um, But Pay attention, and by paying attention, literally paying attention is just be conscious. That's con- that's the definition of consciousness is awareness, okay? So be aware, make yourself aware the next time you are in a conversation, if it's a group chat or, you know, in-person conversation, and listen to see how, just how often people actually uh, or what percentage of conversations are actually just people criticizing other people like what I've said right and I'm aware even when I'm doing it I'm becoming more and more and more aware so this is not a judgment it's not to say that you guys you know I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm not pointing the finger I'm saying I'm aware that I do this too and once you become aware of something, then you can fix it. If you if you have a leak, right, in your house, um, but you don't know, you're not aware of where the leak is coming from, then you can't fix the problem. It's until you find out, you make yourself aware of where the leak is coming from, that's when you can fix the problem. So I'm just now becoming aware of this, um, at least on a conscious level. Um, but the majority of things people talk about are just criticizing people, right? I've done this. I've done this on this podcast. Um, 
you know, the Dems criticizing the Republicans, Republicans criticizing the, uh, the Democrats. Um, this person did this, a celebrity did that, my mom did this, my husband did that. Like, that's, that's 95% of the conversation. In fact, I think I read a quote somewhere, I can't tell you where, that says, if you somehow put a hex on people, and I'm paraphrasing, or I'm, I'm putting it in my words, if you put a hex on people and you made it so that they could not criticize, they wouldn't really have anything to talk about. Like, or like 95% of the things that they would have to say would just be gone. And they would really, all they'd have to talk about is like, oh, well, the weather is nice. That's it. Um, and so in my opinion, one, not only does it put you in a negative mental state and criticism, um, two, not only does it hamper the people that you, com- you care about with, you know, with negativity and infect them with negativity, um, it's also unconscious because if the majority of people are doing it and the majority of people are unconscious or not aware, they're not living aware lives, then that is also unconscious behavior. And you are trying to live consciously, right? So don't criticize. Don't complain. To me, I I honestly don't know really the big difference between criticizing and complaining. I think they're about the same. I didn't take the time to Google it before the podcast. Um, If you can get yourself in the habit of every time you go to criticize somebody or complain, compliment them instead and express gratitude, your relationship with that person will change dramatically. So I'll say that again. If you can get yourself in the habit, because you got yourself in the habit of criticizing and complaining. Now, if you can flip that and you can get yourself in the habit of right when you get ready to criticize or complain about something your husband didn't do or something your wife didn't do, instead compliment them, it would be amazing how you'll see how effectively your relationship gets dramatically transformed. Now, if you can't catch yourself or if you can't keep yourself from complaining, but you can catch yourself in the midst of a complaint, stop. Don't finish your sentence. Walk away. Or follow up with a compliment right after. So like, hey, Annie. Um, you said you were going to take the dishes or out of the dishwasher. You didn't. Um, that's when you catch yourself because that's you complaining. Um, instead, then you can say, but I do appreciate, I would appreciate it if you would, if you would do that for me. Thank you. Because now that changes it from a complaint to a request and then follow up with, and I really appreciate you. I'm really grateful for the fact that you took the trash out. 
And then if you can make it so that the majority of the things that you say to the person, because remember I said about, was it 95% of the things that people talk about are mostly criticizing and complaining? So if you can flip that and mindfully get yourself into the habit of not complaining, but complimenting and expressing gratitude all day. The majority of the things that comes out of your mouth when you're interacting or dealing with another person is, I'm grateful for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. On the opposite end, right? Just like you cannot complain and condemn and criticize somebody and be in a good mood, you can't express gratitude and compliment somebody and be in a bad mood. Nobody's ever like, I like your cooking, but angry. <laughs> I can't even, I couldn't even do it. Like my brain farted. Like I was like, you can't say, I like your cooking and be angry at the same time. That's not how the brain works. So alchemy, right? The transmorgification of, you know, base metal into gold. So most of our lives are, are, are spent living base metal lives, lead lead-based lives, lead, you know, toxic lead, right? Lead causes cancer. And you remember my analogy from earlier, how that criticism is like a tumor. And every time you, you, you criticize a person, that tumor grows and grows and grows until the relationship eventually becomes cancerous and toxic. And then you have to go your separate ways. Um, but you flip that and you can use alchemy um, instead on your relationship. And you take that and you can transform a cancerous situation and flip it and feed that relationship positivity and gratitude and appreciation instead. Compliments and appreciation instead. I guarantee you, if the more you do the opposite of what you normally did, right? Because what you normally did was criticize, condemn, and complain. So you flip that. You convert that. You transmorgify that. You transmorgify your mind from always finding the negative to always finding the positive. If you, can, if, you can, if you have the kind of brain that can find something negative to say, you also have the kind of brain that can find something positive to say. It's just a matter of switching the settings, right? If you have a thermal a thermostat in your house, it can go both ways. So if you always have it set to heat, you can also flip it the opposite direction and have it set to cool. You're in control. But if you constantly have it set to heat and you're complaining because it's hot as hell, um, turn it off, right? Don't just sit and complain. Turn it off or turn it the opposite direction and cool it. Both extremities, both extremes are in your control, right? And number four is don't, don't, don't condemn. That kind of falls into the same uh, as the criticizing condemning, uh, and complaining. Um, number five is no one is perfect. And it kind of sounds super like straightforward, um, but I forget this. And this is a helpful reminder when you catch yourself in the middle of trying to criticize a person. This is a thing that helps make, make, it helps me become aware of what I'm doing. It's just a little reminder, like, okay, you're not perfect. Nobody work, walking on this earth is perfect. So that expectation of perfection from another person's behavior constantly is unhealthy on your part. So you need to stop. 
right? So you put yourself in your, the other person's shoes and understand that they're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You don't really have a, a place to judge because you're not perfect either. And so no person can really allow, you, you shouldn't allow anybody to elevate themselves above you and call themselves a judge over you because they're human too, regardless, and don't accept anybody's judgment of you. And then on the opposite end, don't judge people either because you're not perfect. You're, you're not perfect either, right? Right? Okay. And then number six is put yourself in other people's shoes. So this to me helps me when I catch my brain trying to really pull me into the mindset of constant fault finding. Um, what I've done is I've got into the, into the habit of when my brain, because sometimes I get stuck in a loop, right? Something doesn't go my way. Like this week, I had an expectation. I wanted something really badly, at, or I, I thought I did. I don't think I did, but it felt like I did. And then I experienced disappointment. It didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And as a result, some old mental patterns began to emerge. And I started thinking about the person that I thought, you know, quote unquote, rejected um, my proposal. And, um, and my mind, like, started kind of pulling me into this, like, loop of criticism, as my mind does. Because that's the other problem. When you get into a habit of criticizing other people, other people, you're also strengthening that critical part of your brain and it can just as easily turn on you when you least expect it and when you least need it, right? So what happened is that I caught myself sort of, I caught myself sort of looping on what the person did and didn't do, right? And what these people did and didn't do. And as I would think about it, I would criticize their, you know, what they're doing. And I was like, oh, these persons, is it this and that? I would name call. And um, and I was like pulling, I was like sinking. I was like, I felt myself getting like uncomfortable, right? But then what I told myself was like, you didn't even, like, if you, like, if you, if you (laughs) really are honest with yourself, you really didn't want this thing you know, and they did you a favor, but that didn't, wasn't really working. So instead, what I ended up doing was I shifted my mind and I, I forced myself. I said, okay, fine. If you want to find something to complain about brain, rather, I'm not going to let you do that. What I'm going to do instead, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to perform alchemy, alchemy on my mind. We're not going to take this negative feeling. This is like lead and we're going to flip it into gold. And what I said to myself was, okay, we're going to compliment this person. And that's, that was difficult for me. So what I, what's normal for me is to go, this person is an idiot. These people, you know, they don't, don't know what they're doing. They're, you know, all these sort of things, right? Name call. But then I forced myself to say, okay, what would you do in their shoes? What if they're actually being really smart? What if they're actually being, you know, maybe what if they're doing you a favor? What if you're being protected from something? What if they didn't actually mean it? you know, what you're seeing as a, as a rejection, they might actually have been meaning to protect you because they understand, you know, the environment and their situation and they're looking out for you. And that 
forcing yourself into another person's shoes, um, like, it was almost like my brain was like, wait, what? But I, I was in control, right? And as I started to do that more and more and more and more and more, um, my brain, like, it was like my counter to the negativity. And before I knew it, like, I was over it. And then the, that negative uh, thought pattern stopped. So if you catch yourself in a situation where you're finding somebody, they're, you know, getting on your nerves or they're aggravating you or whatever, that simple pause, pausing and saying, okay, what would I do if I was in this person's shoes? How would I behave? Well, I'd probably, honestly, if we're being honest, I would probably behave in the exact same way, you know, and, um, and, and it's okay. Right. So that simple pause and understanding that under any circumstance, you know, similar to the one that you're in, if you were in their shoes, if you you put put yourselves, you can say put yourself in their shoes or you can say put themselves in their body, put themselves in your and put yourself in their life. However you want to spin it. Right. With the understanding that if you were in a similar situation, you would probably have behaved in the same way. That kind of dissipates the negative energy, the negative thought patterns that kind of want to emerge and get you sucked in, right? It's all the other, you know, six rules don't work. And the last one is um, pause and think before you speak. It seems super easy, but it's not. That simple act of just before you open your mouth, just stop in thinking because typically the way we behave, all of us behave, is like unconsciously, right? This person says something, and then you respond, and then they say something, and then you respond. You get in the habit of just, you're, you're, not, you're not even the one talking. It's your, your body is an autopilot, and you're just saying whatever comes to mind. Well, if you allow your body to get in the habit of just saying stuff without you proofreading what's about to be sent... Right? It's kind of like a text message, right? Where you're, you text something, you think you're about to, you, you're saying one thing. By the time you hit send, you double check it and you're like, shit, I didn't mean to. S-. There's like several typos in there. And I think I just called that person a retard when I was trying to say uh, <laughs> regards, right? Um, so it's that proof checking what you're about to say before you allow your body to say it. Getting in the habit of doing that also slows down any emotional reactivity that you might um, normally engage in. And once again, allows room and space for, your, for awareness, for consciousness to kind of enter the equation. Right? So I hope that was helpful. I, I know that a lot of people are kind of stuck in their homes with quote-unquote loved ones and I don't mean that in like a nefarious way I mean you there are your loved ones and and a lot of the time you know it's the people you're closest to you know your family that tend to be the hardest to live with and then the ones that test you the most but what I have told my friends is you look at any interaction and every interaction that you have with a family member with a friend with another human being not as a nuisance, but as a test. It's a pop quiz. It's a, this, we're living in a, in a school called life, and the school is meant to get you to exercise consciousness. 
And so every time you have to deal with another human being, it's a pop quiz and an exercise in consciousness. And so when a person presents themselves to you and they are, you know, they seem to be antagonizing you or whatever it is, you can react. That's, but that's not really a choice. That's not a conscious choice. Or you can pause and then think, right? Hey, this is a test, right? And if you can get yourself in the habit of going, hey, this is a test, you'll find yourself becoming less and less reactive. And by that active uh, practice of uh, non-reactivity, you, you start learning to exercise free will. And that's pretty much how you start to live more consciously and lessen, considerably lessen the amount of suffering that you uh, have to experience in day-to-day life. Anyway, um, hope that was helpful, and uh, catch you on the next one.